Do me a favor and turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. How are we doing tonight? Good, good. It's always good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen with his people. Romans chapter 1, 18 through 32. We're going to be talking tonight on a biblical worldview on the LGBTQ lifestyle. It's a very interesting topic and one that's very complex. However, uh, tonight I want it to be a grace-filled message that will speak to the hearts of those here. And maybe you're here tonight, maybe that's not your issue, but I think you will appreciate God's word and be able to apply it nonetheless in every area of your life. So Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they came, became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural, natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, which is definitely heading down the same avenue that we're talking about tonight. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, Haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. These are some strong words. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Let's just pause for a word of prayer once again. Lord, we thank you for your word that's been uh, read in our hearing tonight, and I pray that you would uh, transform our hearts and minds, and that God, you would get the glory out of tonight's message, that this would be a grace-filled message concerning this very important topic uh, relative to identity and sexual orientation and what our world has skewed and has called uh, normal and has tried to neutralize the power of your word. We thank you that your word is clear and distinct concerning the unnatural passions that men have for men and women for women, and that it goes against the divine order and the very word of God. And so tonight we pray that you'll transform our hearts and help us, God, to, uh, to be recipients of, uh, and, and distributors of your grace to others that may not know you in this way. And we thank you for it, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, what is the issue regarding the LGBTQ lifestyle? And what does the Bible have to say about it? And then how should we as Christians live 
And then fourthly, I want to cover how should we as Christians expose the darkness and preach the gospel. So, so there are four areas, four issues regarding um, the LGBTQ lifestyle and this whole sexual orientation movement and, and sort of um, the attitude of society towards sexual identity. Four real areas that I, I don't know I'll have time to deal with tonight, but first of all, it's the gender identity crisis that's going on. It's starting young, starting as early as in some cases, you know, these are second and third graders that are wondering about their own sexual identity, which is really a strong issue. And then secondly, uh, those that are privately struggling in the church. So this is not just a world and a secular issue, but we also have those who are in the church who are privately struggling uh, with tendencies and, and, and this uh, sort of uh, conflict. Third of all, there are those who are actively engaged in, li- in the lifestyle, those who are um, act- actively pursuing relationships uh, that, that are not godly and, and that obviously, as we're going to talk about tonight, do not line up with God's word. And then fourth, the other issue to grapple with is how do we form our response and stance on the issue? Do we, are we passive and indifferent and kind of put people in a category. We don't want to deal with that. That's, that's the elephant in the room. I don't know how to talk to people like that. So is it more of passivity or, or is it more of, of, uh, of hate and judgment and uh, ridicule and shame? Uh, so we have these two ends of the spectrum in terms of how church and the religious community look at uh, the lesbian, gay, uh, bisexual, and transgender. And then there's also the Q, which I'm going to talk about tonight. But basically, this whole LGBTQ uh, terminology is a term back from the 90s when a group of activists and those that felt that uh, the gay community or, or uh, those uh, that were considered homosexual, which now if you use the word homosexual, that's a less, uh, in terms of secular society, that's something that uh, society doesn't really look favorable upon. They, they kind of almost uh, feel as though it's offensive. And so now they've come up with this neat little term, LGBT. Q, to describe, they feel as though it didn't represent all of the gay community, and uh, it's a variant for those who identify with um, having some type of sexual orientation um, issue. And uh, the letter Q, which was later added, is um, obviously lesbian, standing for those whose primary sexual and affection orientation is toward people of the same gender, same for gay and bisexual. Uh, A person who's bisexual could be attracted to both. Uh, sexes, depending on what day of the week that it is. And then the transgender is an adjective used to describe this umbrella term of those who are um, have uh, sort of this conflict over their sex at birth. They're wanting to change. Maybe they're a biological male and they feel as though they, they're not happy with that and they want to change their identity to a female or vice versa. Some in, ca- in some cases, they actually change uh, and go through the surgery, and then other cases they have those uh, conflicting personalities where they present themselves uh, in different uh, character based on how they feel. And this is something that's intersecting with the workplace and HR departments and organizations are trying to figure out how do we deal with this, uh, you know, this sexual orientation issue. And then uh, there's this uh, the letter Q, which was also added, which is queer. It used to be when you call somebody queer it was sort of a derogatory term, but now in this, in the context, uh, in the construct of the LGBTQ, it's for those who are questioning, those who are bi-curious, those who are wanting to explore more of their gender, gender identity and sort of their sexual expression, so to speak, and, and sort of this, uh, this idea of, I'm not sure, I'm on the fence. So we have this, uh, you know, this terminology that now has been placed into society, and, and we as a body of believers, uh, I believe it's important, I'm, I'm really glad we're having this series, we need to have a biblical worldview on the LGBTQ lifestyle, because guess what, it's happening in the church, there are churches and religious communities that support and endorse individuals, their pastors, their leaders, uh, you know, it's one thing to welcome individuals uh, from this community that's one thing, and I believe that uh, the, the Bible is, is very clear about the gospel being universal for all persons, for all unrighteousness. He came to save sinners. Uh, doesn't uh, doesn't uh, sort of 
have this pedigree of, well, you're a, a gay person, so you can't be saved, or you're a... a no, the, the Bible is very clear about the gospel being inclusive, but it is also very clear about endorsing that lifestyle. And that's kind of what I want to unpack tonight and talk about, uh, you know, how are we to respond to this? The first realization is that apart from Christ, we are all depraved. And a big amen belongs right there. We're all depraved. We're vain. We're prideful. We're lustful. We're rebellious. We're pleasure-seeking and sin-prone in our desires, our thoughts, our imaginations, and everything about us. And that's why Jeremiah 17, 9, a popular and a very familiar passage, uh, says the heart's deceitful above all things. And it's desperately wicked. That means the way that we are designed because of the, because of the fall, we can't wait to sin. Our flesh can't wait for the next opportunity to express itself. And so we're desperately wicked, and who can know it? In 2 Corinthians uh, 3.18 one of the most powerful passages, it says, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. So the problem with the LGBTQ uh, philosophy that it's if folks feel as though it's biblical and I'm, I'm not wanting to be argumentative. And is the first thing is that it will never, you'll never be transported into the image of God. God is not lesbian, gay. He's not transgender. He's not bisexual. So if we're being transformed in the image of God, we're going to be transformed to be more like him, not more like what we want him to be. And we, we all, all, we've read many times this passage in Romans chapter 12 and 1 about the need for us to continually renew our minds. It talks about that we need to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice holding acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. And it says for us to what? Be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It talks about not being conformed to this world. So two things are, are, is, is at work here is that if we're not being actively transformed into the image of God, then we're being conformed into the pattern of this world. So the word conformed actually means to follow a specific pattern, to be compliant with the same thing. So if I have this cornerstone pen, which I'm just borrowing, I didn't steal it, but if I have this cornerstone pen, right, and I have, and I want to be conformed to this pen, what am I likely to reproduce if I'm conforming to this image? Am I going to have another cornerstone pen? It's not a trick question. If I'm being conformed to this pen, I'm going to have more of this, aren't I? Yes or no? So if I'm being conformed to this, this is all that I'll ever be. I'm conforming to the pattern of what this cornerstone pen is. So if I conform to this, I'm going to have another pen, but it's never going to be more than what this is. But when the Bible says being transformed, being transformed means to be completely and thoroughly changed in both appearance and character. That means that I'm going to start here. And by the time the Holy Spirit's done working in my life, I'm not going to be a pen anymore. I'm going to be something completely different. I'm not going to even resemble or look like in character, shape, or form what I originally started with. I'm going to be more than what I started with because that's what transformation is all about. It's a complete and thorough change in both appearance and character. So if you're being transformed into the image of God, there's no way that you're going to be able to go backwards. You're always going to be changed. Into, you're going to be totally unrecognizable in terms of who you are and who God is. You're going to be completely transformed, thoroughly and completely changed in both appearance and character. Conform means I'm just going to only be my old self. I'm only going to be able to follow the pattern which my DNA is sin-prone and lust-filled and unrighteous and ungodly and I want to do what I want to do. The desires I have is what I want to do, what I see I want. I'm going to only be more of that if I'm conformed. So either being transformed to the image of God or you're being conformed, which means we're living according to the pattern or standard of this world. The effects of the LGBTQ agenda on American culture and society is staggering the effect and how subtle that this has happened over the course of many years. First of all, homosexuality has been around for centuries. I want to talk about that, and, 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 and this is not a new discussion. This is something that's been around ever since uh, you know, the Bible talks about in Genesis 19 and Lot's day, uh, in which you know, there was homosexuality present 
the book of Leviticus, which we'll turn to some of those scriptures. But this is not a new issue. But it's, it sort of took a turn in, in, in like the uh, early to late 90s when people started to use the terminology coming out of the closet. People, all, you know, they had this undercover, uh, this duplicitous self. They were who they were in public and, and their persona and so on. But then there was this coming out of the closet and people wanting to have this expression. And so what has actually happened since the 90s now is that now this lifestyle has become more and more accepted, socially acceptable. And even in the context of the public school curriculum, they're already embracing uh, the curriculum that, that supports sort of this conflict in the family unit of, of, of you know, two men being parents or two women being parents and, and sort of making that seem as though it is the norm and teaching that in our school curriculums. I don't even have time to go there. There's legislature uh, being passed even in our town to try to infiltrate uh, the way that uh, the school system is run with regard to curriculum around the LGBT uh, agenda. TV and mainstream media, uh, it is alarming the amount of shows disturbing uh, to think, you know, shows like I Am Jazz, I think that's what it's called on TLC or whatever channel, you know, this transgender 14-year-old teenager going through, uh, you know, uh, this, this change and, and dealing with all the romance and all this, the issues behind that. It's just totally twisted and whacked out. The politics and the legality of it is also very complex. As I began to study and dig into this issue, um, I do this uh, for a living in terms of having to teach uh, employees and such about uh, how to be receiving and how to be uh, respectful and treat individuals with dignity. And there's this whole issue of politics and legality around uh, what they call the third gender movement. So now, you know, you have on the application or wherever you're applying for something, you know, when it asks for your gender, it's male or female. Well, now there's a movement. They want to have a third gender placed on there. So there's this third gender movement going on. God created Adam and Eve. The last I read my Bible, he didn't create Adam and Steve, but Adam and Eve. I don't read where he created three individuals with three genders. There are only two clear and distinct genders. And then there's this gender neutrality movement, which means the LGBT community may be offended if you use the word he or she, if that's not what they want to be referred to as. So now the school systems are trying to figure out how can we come out with these gender-neutral pronouns. So the way we describe individuals in our classroom, we say they. We don't say he or she. The whole issue of same-sex marriage, we know what that has done uh, for society and, 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 and uh, the whole issue surrounding that. And then Fifth of all is the church accepting, being accepting of this lifestyle. Now, I'm not, I want to distinguish and be very clear that this is not a message saying that anyone that's in the LGBT community cannot come to a gospel-filled church. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not when I talk about inclusion or being accepted. I'm talking about churches uh, endorsing and saying it's okay and churches uh, saying, you know, I, I can be a pastor. I can be in leadership. I can, you know, still serve God and still have my own sexual orientation that's totally opposed to the word of God and for people to feel and believe that that's okay. So what does the Bible have to say about the LGBTQ lifestyle, the gay lifestyle? Number one, um, it is completely contrary to God's word and plan for the family unit. Turn with me to Genesis chapter one. So I want us to have scriptures that if, we were to have a discussion, we want to have a grace-filled discussion with those, you know, with whom that we're trying to reach with the gospel, and it's important to have a biblical view of what does the Bible have to say about this. If you look in Genesis chapter 1 and 27, the Bible says very clearly, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the first understanding we get is that God created what? He created a male and a female. We are, that's established. That's divine order. And then we see that God blessed them in verse number 28. God blessed them and God said to them, 
Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea. And it goes on to talk about man's role, uh, you know, that there's this, this union. And God married them in the Garden of Eden, so we have a male and a female. We have a man and a woman. We have them married, okay? And then God blesses that marriage or that union, and then he tells them to go ahead and, and to uh, fill the earth, to reproduce. And so the very first argument that we have about the gay lifestyle is that it is impossible for two men to have a baby. I don't know why as a guy you'd want to have a baby in the first place. There's, I've never heard of a man having a uterus. So it will never, biologically, will never, ever make sense. It will never work, never, ever, ever. Will two women be able to have a baby reproduce? Two men will never be able to reproduce. So the divine order, it goes directly against the divine order of God's word, the way the family unit is supposed to work. And so... We see that God established that clearly that there was male and female. There wasn't a third gender. There wasn't some type of, um, you know, digression from that. The second thing is that the Bible tells us is that I want to talk about is, is in 2 Timothy 3 and 3, talks about that evil men will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So the second thing about it is any time that we don't, follow or we don't honor the truth of God's word or follow God's precepts, we are living in deception. Deception means, you know, we believe about ourselves, the choices we make, it boils down to an ungodly belief system. An ungodly belief system. This is deception. Anything that we don't, when we don't honor the truth of God's word, we're living in deception. And deception means that we have beliefs that are contrary to God's holy word. What are beliefs? These are lies about ourselves, about others, and about God. They are dangerous because they affect our perceptions, our decisions, and our actions. Beliefs are formed from many things. Negative experiences, hurts, wounds of our past can form an ungodly belief system. In other words, where people may say, where were you, God, when I was raped or molested? Where were you, God, when I had an unfortunate and negative and traumatic experience happened in my past. I was molested. I was abused. I must not be lovable. I am the reason my dad left my mom. I am the reason why my parents fight all the time. I should not have been born. These are all lies of the adversary. This is what we call an ungodly belief system. Because a belief system affects our decisions, our attitudes, our agreements, our judgments, our expectations, our vows, our oaths. It involves everything that involves our mind and our thinking, and particularly our decision-making power. So turn with me to Exodus chapter 32. Let's start there to unpack and, and get some perspective from God's word concerning how an ungodly belief system precipitates behavior, all behavior. And really at the core of the LGBTQ lifestyle is a faulty or ungodly belief system. And really, this belief system can apply to any sin, be it sexual immorality, be it pornography, be it whatever you want to put into that term. Anything that's apart from God falls under deception and an ungodly belief system. And all behavior is precipitated by an ungodly belief system. So in Exodus chapter 32, we read of the golden calf. So I want to ask you a question. What is your golden calf tonight? What is your belief system? What are the sacred cows, the beliefs that you hold that you envision, that you endear, that, that perhaps uh, go against God's word. So listen to what this says. When the people saw that Moses was delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together and said to Aaron, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. Okay? So here we have individuals. This is us. This is us in Exodus chapter 32. Everyone in this room, including myself, this is us in Exodus 32. It happens when... We see here that if you do the commentary on it, it was roughly between one and three days before Moses was about to come down from the mountain. He was in that place getting the commands from the Lord. He was going to come down and, and share that with the people. And what happened? They grew impatient. And they began to fear that perhaps Moses would not be coming back. So what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Let's just put the, the story on hold for a moment and unpack that. How many of us have ever felt like we need to take matters into our own hands. God's not going to come through for me. You know, I've been waiting all my life, and it doesn't seem like anything's going to come together. We, we, have, we start forming this belief system. 
that somehow God's let us down, that he's disappointed us. And then what do we want to do? We want, we want results right now. We want, in this impatient society, we want to form what's called a visual God, a visual idol. What is the visual idol of 2018? What do you think is the premier golden calf, the visual idol, the idol that we can see with our eyes that's killing the hearts and minds and the purity of our young men and young women? It's pornography. It's the visual idol. It's the God that we can see. I'm going to use this God. I'm going to use this crutch. I'm going to use this thing, whatever it may be. It could be pornography. It could be smoking. It could be anything that's apart from God's word. And I want to form. I want to put something together that I can see, that I can touch. Because I'm here now, and I'm struggling with this right now. The Bible tells us, as for this man Moses who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So Aaron said, take off the rings of gold. All right, so I need everybody right now, take off your Rolexes. You, whatever you, any gold you have, I need to, to, to walk around with the offering basket, and we're going to collect up all the gold that's in the house tonight. All right? Everybody's getting nervous and clutching their purse and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to take your money. But this is what happened. They began to put together a, a collection of gold. Anything that was of value, they started to take it off, and they started to throw this together. Now, this could have been what made this such an issue this could have been just an art project. We're bored, and, you know, Moses is taking a long time to come down the mountain. Why don't we just do something for fun, dude? Let's just start taking our gold and our necklaces and medallions, and let's just make an art project. Let's just make a cow, right? Let's just make this, this calf, and we'll just have this gold-plated calf. It'll be decked out. It'll be dope, man. We'll just go ahead and put this thing together, right? So this is what they did. They decided, well, we'll just go ahead and we'll, we'll get all the gold and we'll, we'll form this, this calf. It could have just been an art project to keep them occupied. But you know when it became evil? It's when they believed and they applied their belief. They truly valued this golden calf above what God's word had to say. They didn't want to wait for the holy word of God to come down out of the mountain. They decided, you know what, I'm going to circumvent whatever God's trying to do and I want I'm going to apply all of my, I believe that this thing, I believe that this person, I believe that this lifestyle is going to meet my needs because I need to have a God that I can see. I need to have a God that I can touch. I need to have a person in my life that can fulfill my needs. This is at the heart and soul of the LGBT community. And every sin that you want to think about, it has to do with an ungodly belief system. But I want something I can handle, something I can form, something I have control over, something I can manipulate. At the heart and soul, if you pare it down, any sin that you can think of has to do with an ungodly belief system. So what happened was they formed a belief first and their behavior followed. Your behavior will always follow what you believe because you're not going to do something you don't believe. If you don't believe that going out and taking someone's life with a 9 millimeter is a good thing, you're not going to do it because you don't believe that. But if you truly believe that, then you're going to be a psychopath and you're going to find the next school, the next campus you can shoot up because that's truly what you believe. We always do what we believe. And so this is what's so powerful. This is where the enemy is able to captivate us. This is where the enemy is able to catch us in our vulnerability when we have a belief system that's ungodly, that is not founded on the truth of God's word we find ourselves having these sacred cows, these golden calves in our life. We call them belief systems. We believe what we want to believe based on a number of things. Our belief systems formed by a couple of things. Number one, the fact that we're unredeemed. If you're not a believer and you're unredeemed, you can form your belief system out of the unredeemed uh, uh, areas of your heart that are not sanctified, that you've not been made whole by the blood of Jesus, and you're not, you've not walked in, in, in the light. And so this, this, these attitudes, these feelings, these thoughts ruin and, and control your mind. The second area it, that forms ungodly beliefs are hurts and negative traumatic experiences that we go through. It begins to formulate certain beliefs. We begin to think, well, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not lovable. Maybe I deserve what happened to me. And maybe, you know, and we go through these these different things and our emotions and our feelings and our thoughts and our, our judgments and all of our expectations. And there's this whole plethora of things that happen that formulate belief systems that are entrenched 
in how we view God and how we view other things, how we, even we view the word of God. And so this is powerful, and we see that in that story what ended up happening, how that it, it brought them to a place they were in a, it never it never stopped. It wasn't just an art project, it's that they chose to believe, and that thing was more important to them than God. And that's why it became an idol, is because they associated their beliefs with that thing. Now to us in 2018, how stupid are these people to believe that a calf could bring them out of Egypt to scribe and, and, and attribute that this is what brought them through and, and this is their God? I mean, this is ridiculous and preposterous. But think about it. We do the same thing with our belief systems because we have things we believe we hold on to that are not founded on God's word. And it's like our sacred cow, our golden calf. Nothing can penetrate it but God's word. We believe we hold on to it, thoughts, ideas, things we feel we're entitled to. It, it, the list goes on. We also need to go back to the sequence of events in Genesis chapter 1 to understand how our belief system can be manipulated by our own deception. There's nothing worse than self-deception. When, when you truly believe that you're right or you, you truly believe that, you know, you're, and you're deceived, ungodly thinking, that you know it's best for you, and I know it's best for me, that's the, that's the worst place that we can be. But in Genesis chapter 1, let's just go to Genesis chapter 3. And I want to just review the sequence of events because, again, this is at the heart of the belief system that contributed to all of us being part of this fall and being having this sinful nature. In Genesis chapter 3, we see that verse 1, I know you've seen this text before, but it's important. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say... You shall not eat of the tree of the garden. All right, stop right there. Put the brakes on. Number one, notice the rebellion and the the defiance against God's holy word. I mean, if I were to try to make, like, this is probably the poorest example I can think of right now, but it'd be like you going into Judge Judy's courtroom and trying to tell her how she's going to run her courtroom. I mean, have you ever seen Judge Judy and and how, like, she's very, like, militant? I mean, you're just, you're not going to get over her. You're not going to twist her words, what she says in that courtroom. That's her, her, her courtroom. And it'd be like the equivalent of us trying to go in and say, you know what, did God really, you know, this rationalization, this, this defiance, this rebellion, that's the first problem that God actually say. And so we see at the very heart and soul of the LGBT community and those that are in this lifestyle, come on, does, does God really hate homosexuality? You know, does, does God really care about my sexual orientation? I mean, I love Jesus. I pay my tithes. I come to church. And, you know, does God really care about that? Is it really that important? This questioning, this defiance. And then notice the sequence of events. Talks about, you know, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So here's the, here's the issue. The issue is that, you know, first of all, the basis of, of any type of sin, be it sexual sin, immorality, be it uh, uh, sexual orientation, it starts with the forming of an ungodly belief system. And it starts with a conversation in our own mind. Sin always starts with a conversation. Always starts with a conversation. You know, you're home, maybe you're, it's late at night, and, and you know, you're, you're sitting there at the computer, and, you know, everybody's in bed, and the house is quiet, and, you know, you've got all this homework that maybe you have to do, and then, you know, the enemy will come with a conversation. Well, maybe you ought to go to this site or that site. Maybe you ought to... I mean, does God really care? I mean, no one's really going to know. And this conversation starts to go on. We begin to entertain all of these thoughts and ideas without stopping, without resisting, without using the truth of God's word. We form this belief system. And we see that even in the context of the first sin, that she sinned even before she partook of the fruit. Because if you, if you understand, in, in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says that there were two trees in the midst of the garden. Tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil. It was in the midst of the garden. So 
Anytime a person makes a decision that they want to go against God's word, there's always going to be some type of effort to, to, there's always going to be some type of rebellion. There's always going to be some type of path. There's always going to be some looking toward that thing before you actually do it. Forming your belief system. You're going to start forming that belief system. It always precipitates behavior. So if I'm going in the midst of the garden, now can you imagine this garden? I'm thinking to myself, if I'm going to go in the midst of the garden, it's going to take effort. I've, I've got to get through some things. I've got to bypass some, some stop measures that, you know, I know what God said, but I'm still making my way closer to that thing. I'm still curious. You know, sin always starts with curiosity. They had to get to the mid. That's a process to get to the middle of the garden. They had all of these other trees they could have enjoyed and, and that were good for the eyes and, and pleasant to the eyes and delightful, but they had to, it was a process to get to the middle of the garden. There's always a process. People don't just wind up in this lifestyle. People don't just wind up and say, well, I just happened to land in this sin. No, you didn't just wake up and land in this sin. It was a process of you making efforts, making purposeful steps to move away from God's truth and his word and to go your own way, your own direction. So that's the first thing. There was a willful disobedience. God said it, but they started looking, started entertaining, started having that conversation. And that goes with any sin. And the Bible says this in verse number six, a big S-O. So. So all of these things happen in forming the belief system in the previous verse. And then when those conditions were met, guess what happened? The behavior followed. Verse number six. So when the woman saw. In order to see something, you have to be already looking in the direction of that thing. When the woman saw. Was good for food. Here we go. Getting off the grid. A person with an ungodly belief system says, well, this is good for me. This is what I need right now. Nobody understands the trauma and the pain and the negativity that I've been through. I need this right now. Whatever that this is. And it was delightful. She said it was delight to the eyes. Well, this is what's going to, an ungodly belief system said, this is delightful. It's going to bring me comfort. It's going to bring me pleasure. It's going to bring me joy. It's going to bring me whatever. It says when she saw it was the light to the eyes and it was desired to make one wise. Here it is. The curiosity. The curiosity. There are, and I did studies on this, there are, there are I can't tell you the statistics of young people that are moving the direction of bisexual curious. They want to know what that lifestyle is about. The hook of pornography is the curiosity. I want to know what that's about. The Bible says in James chapter 3, verse 3, you never saw it this way, but in doing this passage and doing this lesson, James chapter 3 and verse 3 says something along the lines of, talks about earthly wisdom. They wanted to know. They wanted to know. They wanted to understand. They wanted to see what this was all about. It says, talks about earthly wisdom being unspiritual, earthly, and demonic. In Genesis and James chapter three verse thirteen, so the wisdom that comes from above is pure and it's 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 godly. But the wisdom of the earth, in other words, I want to know what's what this lifestyle is about. I want to know what this sin is about. If it's pornography, I want to know what this is about. It's that wanting to know, that curiosity, that's the hook. And then we see that once the enemy baited the hook. And the curiosity got the best of them. They allowed the conversation in their mind to continue. And their conduct and their behavior drove them towards the midst of the garden. As soon as they partook, we know that that was the fall of man. But we also know that the enemy was also right there to criticize and ridicule and bring shame. You idiot. You imbecile. How could you sin like this? How could you do this? This is what the enemy says to us. If you're here tonight and you're dealing with struggling with your orientation, you're struggling with whatever in terms of your own identity, you're having a crisis, you're, you have ungodly belief systems, the moment you, you partake of that, there's not going to be that joy that you thought there was going to be. It's not going to be that, that, that long-term satisfaction you thought was going to be there. It's a lie. It's a deception of the enemy to make you feel that your ungodly belief system will bring you to the true joy that's only found in Jesus Christ. The fact is, sin doesn't stop with just one act of disobedience. 
It's interesting to note that in the LGBTQ lifestyle, that now that they have letters, four or five letters after the letter Q, if you do studies, it's just continuing to grow legs and tentacles, and it's getting worse. It is, the deception is growing to the extent that there are all, there are all kinds of uh, twisted beliefs of individuals uh, you know, believing certain things about the orientation, and, 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 and it's, this is a voluminous issue. And I want to deal with some of this, but really what it stems from is an ungodly belief system that grows and spreads like a disease. Less than 10 verses later, in Genesis chapter 3, we see the first murder of Adam's eldest son. The eternal words concerning uh, Cain and an admonition for us today. If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And that's the admonition to us tonight, is to not allow the deception of our own hearts and our own minds, our desires, uh, whatever we're dealing with, we need to put it up against God's word. God's word is truth. His word is the authority over how we feel, over our hurts, over our disappointments, over whatever choices and judgments and decisions that we need to make. His word needs to be the truth over all. Our lifestyle needs to be set in terms of what does God's word say about how I live. And the LGBT, the lesbian, gay, transgender, bisexual lifestyle is not in accordance with God's word. The Bible tells us in, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 19, you can just kind of peruse there concerning uh, Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and how that God rescued Lot. And it's, this story is just, again, pointing to the fact that homosexuality has been around for centuries. The Bible says in verse 1, two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. These are angels that came to visit him and to rescue him and his family out of the city. And they said, no, we've got to go. We'll stay in the town square. But Lot pressed them greatly and said, uh, you know, so much so they turned in. It's okay, we'll stay at your house tonight. So these two angels are at Lot's house. When's the last time you had angels at your house? I'm not talking about your two and four-year-old that you think are so innocent and pure. I'm talking about angels from heaven. They came and they, sat, they were in his house. And before he could lay down, verse number four, the men of the city, men of Sodom, both young and old, the people uh, from all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called out to Lot, we're the men that came in with you, with you tonight. Now the scripture is very clear in terms of the fact these men wanted sexual activity with other men. They were homosexuals. And they desired to have relations with these angels because it was believed in that day and time that if they could have sexual relations with a deity, that it would give them superpowers. It would give them sort of this, uh, you know, this, this uh, ability to be superior uh, to the rest of society. And so there was this great, there was a throng of people outside Lot's door. I'm not talking about a few. This is all the men of the city, both young and old, the prostitutes. They came to, to, uh, to inquire of them. And Lot, I don't understand his logic, but he says, well, I don't, you're not going to have these angels, but you can have my two daughters. If you want to take them sexually, you can have them. I almost want to punch him in the face through the scriptures here. It's like, how, would, how could you do something like that? But the Bible says the angels of the Lord reached out and they pulled Lot and his family back in. And they smote the men that were gathered there for ill repute, smote them with blindness, and they were able to escape from that situation. And the Bible goes on to tell us of how that God desired to just, uh, and that he eventually destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. and says, get, you know, told them, get out, get your belongings. When you get out of the city, don't go back. Don't even look back because I'm going to destroy this, this city. Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be destroyed with, with fire and brimstone, which is an admonition to us that if God's speaking to you and he's reaching at your heart and the word of God is challenging you in the area of your orientation or, or sexual orientation or some area of immorality or ungodliness, then when God delivers you out of that place, don't go back. Don't run back. Don't even look back. Don't even think back to where you were because that could be dangerous. But tonight, we, we need to be about challenging and untoppling those ungodly beliefs. Amen? Leviticus 18, 22. Well, you know, you're not going to see the word homosexuality in the Bible. 
or I think actually it's in one place in the ESV version. But in terms of uh, the LGBTQ, you know, people say, well, show me in the Bible where it says this. Well, in Leviticus chapter 18, Leviticus 18 and verse 22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is a, an abomination. The abomination, that word just means it's something God greatly detests. It's offensive to God. Leviticus 20 and verse 13. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination they shall surely be put to death and their blood is upon them. If a woman, if a man takes a woman and her mother also, it is also depravity. Talking about sexual uh, immorality, but mainly uh, dealing with specifically about sexual sin in the area of, of, of homosexuality and lesbianism and so on. So the Bible is very clear. And so many people will say, well, you know, that's just the Old Testament. You know, that's just, uh, you know, there, there's, there's a community of individuals, even in the religious community, that will say, well, that was just an Old Testament passage about God not being in agreement with a homosexual and gay lifestyle. I can also prove to you, you know, that there are many New Testament scriptures that speak of and talk about homosexuality. And I'm not going to go through them all tonight because of the sake of time, but write these down. Matthew 19, 1 through 8. And Jesus issued a sweeping condemnation of all sexual relationships outside of the male-female model that was established that we read in Genesis 1:27. Romans 1, 18 through 32, the passage we read in our opening text deals with specific mention of homosexuality and sexual immorality and the depraved condition of man by its sinful nature. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 uh, talks about homosexuals in the local church uh, and trying to celebrate their freedom in Christ. Uh, Galatians 5, 19 talks about homosexual practices. Ephesians 5, 3 through 7, Paul repeats his warnings against uncleanness to the church in Ephesus. Talking about all sexual immorality, all of the debased and ungodly belief systems concerning that, he, he, it is repeatedly made clear of how those individuals will not inherit the kingdom of God. Colossians 3, 5 through 7, Paul issues a third warning against uncleanness to the church at Colossae. This time he adds instructions on overcoming and controlling the sin. Believers are to mortify or deaden themselves and exercise self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, over such actions. Homosexuals claim that denying the free expression of homosexuality is suppressing, suppressing one's true self. But Scripture clearly instructs that we are to hold our bodies in check and refuse it participation in sexual immorality. And the passage further emphasizes that no one should expect to escape the wrath of God except they repent. My message tonight is grace-filled that you can confess and repent and turn from this lifestyle and, and ask, cry out to God for deliverance. And God can do that for you tonight if you will uh, take and honor his word. 1 Timothy 1 and 10 talks about the law was not made for the righteous, but for the lawless and disobedient. Talks about that there is forgiveness through repentance. Titus 1 and 16 this is uh, an aggressive attack and exposure of the psychosis of those who are defiled and commit abominations. We've already identified in the Old Testament what an abomination is. And Paul here again identifies the source of this strong sweeping message of what is defined as abominable by God's definition. The danger of justifying sin and how sin corrupts the mind and the conscience. And the conscience is the seat of individual integrity and morality rendering it incapable of making spiritually sound decisions. So if we have an ungodly mindset, an ungodly belief system, it's going to render us uh, unable to make spiritually sound decisions. So the, the message here is we can't trust our own emotions. We can't trust how we feel. We can't base our lifestyle and our choices, our judgments, and our decisions based on things that have happened to us, either things that, you know, we're, we're not are asking, trauma situations, negativity, you know, circumstances, and things that we, we didn't have a choice in. God is sovereign and reigns over all. Jude 
1, 4, 7, and verse 19, Jude forcefully revealed that like the Sodomites, certain men in the church had gone after strange flesh. I believe that Jude was describing contemporary gay Christians. His choice of phraseology is a combination of two words, heteros and sark, meaning another flesh with the same quality. And so we'll hear what he's talking about again, strange flesh, but we, we understand in terms of interpretation that men with men, women with women, that this is something that Paul and the scriptures and the epistles clearly state to us and give us direction from God's word, but these are clearly outside the confines of a godly belief system. And we're not being made into the image of God when we pursue our own desires. We're being conformed. Conformed means I'm only going to get what my Adamic nature has performed me or prescribed me to have. I'm going to only continue to be me, which is sinful and vile and apart from God. I cannot be transformed or be completely different in thought and appearance and character when I'm pursuing my own desires, my own carnal desires. Here are some ungodly belief systems. I'm going to go through nine ungodly beliefs, and then we're going to wrap this up. The first ungodly belief has to do with rejection. This is a person who feels no one will love me or care about me. I have to care for myself. This is a rejection belief system. Unworthiness. And this is uh, dealing with guilt and shame. So individuals who perhaps have been raped or molested or feel as though, well, maybe because my first sexual interaction was with a man, my uncle, or a, a person that took advantage of me, maybe I am bisexual, maybe I am gay. And they form that belief system based on a premise of unworthiness, guilt, and shame. I'm not worthy to receive true love or receive anything good. Then there's an ungodly belief system of attention where individuals do things to achieve self-worth, value, recognition. God doesn't care if I have a secret life as long as I appear to be good or or people that feel that their value is in what they do or how much they achieve. Then there's a control belief system where the individual says, I have to continually be in control of my day, my life, and what happens to me. These belief systems are at their core of the LGBT community. For in many cases, individuals feel as though, well, I won't be accepted by people that have, that have wronged me, but I certainly feel accepted in the gay community because they're accepting, they're loving, they're appreciative. And so they formulate this belief system based on the fact, I'm not going to allow anyone to have control over my life anymore. I'm going to make these decisions. There's a belief system of physical attractiveness. I am unattractive. God shortchanged me. I am doomed to have certain physical characteristics. I am not complete as a man or as a woman. That's a physical attractiveness belief system that's ungodly. Then there's an ungodly belief system of identity that says, I should have been a boy instead of a girl. Maybe if, if, I, if I was, my parents would love me more. I will never be loved or appreciated for my true or real self. So at the core of these issues is an identity crisis, a belief system that's certainly not godly. Then there's the belief system of safety and protection that says this is the only community that accepts me. I have to protect myself. And the list goes on. I hurry along. Belief system number eight is a victim belief system that's ungodly. I am completely under other people's authority. I have no choice of my own. Authority figures will just use me and abuse me. So I don't even have time to unpack these, but just think about them uh, as in terms of the context of what we're speaking of tonight. Then there's a God, ungodly belief system of God. That God loves me, or God loves other people more than he loves me. God let me down. Where was God when I was abused, when I was molested, when, you know, fill in the parenthetical phrase, God loves other people more than me. Therefore, I can't trust him. It's an ungodly belief system. So how should we as Christians live as a result of this issue? Number one, we need to replace ungodly beliefs with godly beliefs. Sounds easy, doesn't it? Easier said than done. But the first thing is we have to realize that God's truth is higher than any fact. So the fact might be, yes, I was abused. Yes, I was molested. Yes, I may have tendencies of sexual orientation. Yes, I may have a crisis going on. That may be a fact of what you're, where you're at tonight. But the truth of God's word is that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. That's Bible. 
The Bible tells us in Romans, I believe it is, is it in the book of Romans? talks about, uh, no, it's actually in John. John chapter 8 talks about that ye shall know the truth and the truth shall... Well, who is the truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It also talks about he who the Son sets free is free indeed. That means you're completely free. You're not just free and still dealing with, but you're free indeed. That means when God does a work of deliverance in your life, it's complete and it's thorough. It's transformation. That you're not that pen, that cornerstone pen. You're completely different in thought, character, and appearance. You're completely transformed by the power of God. So we need to replace those ungodly thoughts with godly beliefs. And we can do that by accepting God's truth. The truth is what makes people free. It's the lies and deception, the belief system that we have that keeps us bound in our thoughts. Keeps us in the shame, the guilt, and all of the, the, the ridicule and the condemnation. The Bible says he didn't come to condemn the world. Amen. And the Bible talks about that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this is a gospel message that's powerful enough to save. It's a gospel message that there's enough room at the cross, no matter how far you've sunk, no matter how deeply depressed you are, no matter how, how conflicted and how contorted and how confused and how de- depraved you might be, the power is in Jesus' name. The power is in the blood of the cross that's able to cleanse and heal and deliver. Amen. So, first of all, replacing those beliefs. And we have to do that with radical repentance. How do we do that? Identify the ungodly belief and confess it. We need to say tonight, you know, God, I've been thinking about my own desires, my own passions, my own lusts, my own desires more than I've been thinking about you. And this has been my sacred calf. This has been my golden calf. God, I confess it as sin before you. I confess that the way that I'm living my life, the way that I'm thinking is so contrary to your word. We need to confess it. Some of the uh, study that I've done in this talks about how powerful it is to write out your confession. Matter of fact, therapists will tell you, and this, you know, this is just an aside, therapists will tell you that they will probably be out of business if people learned how to journal their thoughts. They would write out what they're thinking and how they're feeling. There'd be no cause for a person to have to go to a therapist because of how, it, how healing, there's a healing power that happens when we expose that sin expose the, the intents of our heart. We get it out in the open. We're able to be transparent. There's healing. It talks about if we walk in the light as he is in the light of fellowship. It talks about in, in John, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, what? He is faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How freeing is that? How powerful is that? How redeeming is that? How grace-filled is that? That if we confess it, he'll, he'll forgive it and cleanse us. Simple as that. But the first part is we got to get it out of our hearts and confess it, whether we write it on paper, whether we are accountable to a godly individual, a man of God, a woman of God, a person who's walking in God's path or God's ways. We need to identify the issue, call it out, confess it. Confession is agreeing with what God says about you. Confession is saying, your word said that we ought to live and flee from sexual immorality, that we ought to uh, move away from uncleanness, that we need to, need to not give any space to the devil, no real estate, no, no, no room for the enemy to come in. We need to be able to be uh, those that are uh, uh, walking with God, living with God, serving God. Second of all, do not rely or trust in your own feelings or emotions. Turn to the word of God. The word of God is where it's at. The Bible says in, in the book of Psalms, it says the name of the Lord is a strong and mighty tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. There's refuge in the power of God's word. Psalms 119, how shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to the word of God. So don't trust your emotions, your feelings. Your emotions and feelings will always let you down. Thirdly, seek godly counsel and accountability. If you want to get victory and deliverance, and overcome the confliction and, and the things that are going on within, you need to seek godly counsel and godly accountability. A fungus cannot grow in the light. Once that fungus is brought out into the light, the sun zaps it of its strength. And that's what the enemy wants, is want you to be secretive and keep us inside, not tell anybody, and conceal it. But how many know you cannot conceal sin? You can't, like Mike would say, you can't self-manage sin. We're not good managers of sin. There's no way we're going to be able to contain it. 
So we've got to be able to confess it before the Lord and cry out to God for help. How should we as Christians expose the darkness and preach the gospel? Ephesians chapter 4.15, when I talked earlier about the grapple between how do Christians uh, deal with this issue, are they on the side of passivity and indifference? Like, I don't care, or I'm not going to deal with this, or I'm not going to engage conversation regarding this, or are we more on the side over here of hatred uh, and, and judgment and stigmatism uh, towards people that we want to try to label them and, and say, oh, they're, they're just dirty, they're filthy, and they're just rejects. But there's got to be a balance of both truth and love. Because Mike, Mike, you're a good Bible teacher because things you say stick with me. So he's always talking about we can't have so much, so much love that we forget about the truth, that everybody's okay, I'm okay, you're okay. And that's what we're hearing, the cycle babble and, and tele, uh, tele, uh, television and televangelists saying, I'm okay, you're okay. You know, everybody, God just loves you. He loves everybody and doesn't matter what you do. And they won't preach about sin. They won't preach about hell. They won't preach about the truth of God's word. It's about whatever feels good. God is, he's okay. He's okay with how you're living. No, we need the truth of God's word. But the Bible talks about in Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. So what we don't want to go out here and do is use the Bible as a billy club, and beat people up and shame them and make them feel like they're less than because I can tell you that that's not the power of the gospel. Jesus ate with the sinners, ate with the tax collectors, people that were saying, man, you need to come down on those jokers. He would eat lunch with those people. He would eat lunch with prostitutes and, you know, not, not, I'm not recommending that you go out that you're, you know, feel like you can go out and do that. That was Jesus. He's the man. But there's a whole premise there behind how we reach the lost that's done in a way that's grace-filled, that's filled with the love and the power of the gospel. It's always a redeeming love. There's a fervent redeeming love and the power of the gospel. And the Bible tells us that the truth is what destroys ungodly belief systems and frees us. I want you to I want to close with 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, and I'll be out of your hair. 1 Corinthians 6. You're not going to change the LGBTQ community by beating them up and badgering them, but you will by using the truth of God's word. God's word. It's a faulty belief system at the core and at the crux of the conflicted thoughts and the distorted ideas that revolve around that line of thinking. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, the Bible says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. In other words, don't have your own belief system. Whenever you see the word deceived, it means your own belief system. So don't have your own belief system. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. So that's not just parenthetical for men. That's the entire gay community and the practice of it, transgender, those that are queer or bicurious. And it goes on, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers would inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11 should sober us up and make us kind and grace-filled towards those who don't know the Lord. And such were some of you. Such were some of us. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That, my friend, is a powerful rendition of the gospel and the power of the gospel, the transformative power of the gospel, reminding us of who we were and from what pit we were dug, and reminding us that if it weren't for the grace of God, we would all be in our own way. For some, it's the LGBT struggling with their sexual orientation. For others, it might be another sin. You know, smoking is not my issue, for example. So I could could sleep on a bed full of Marlboro cigarettes and never have any inkling to want to smoke one. But for a person who's struggling with that, that could be a pretty huge temptation. So we don't need to puff ourselves up and say, well, man, I I don't deal with nicotine addiction. I don't deal with pornography addiction. Or I don't deal with, uh, you know, sexual orientation issues. 
But every one of us has our own golden calf, our own sacred cow, our own belief system that we're deceived. We need the power of God every single day to renew our minds, to bring us back to where we need to be because we're always thinking, always, the Bible says, sin's always crouching at the door. We're always looking for an opportunity like a radar, like a heat-seeking missile. We're always looking for a way to sin and express ourselves in a vile and ungodly way. But God, thank you, Jesus, that we have a powerful God that's able to save us and heal us from our own woundedness. The church should be a place for broken people. The church should be a place where the wounded and those that need the healing power of the cross can hear about the gospel message and be able to respond to the power of the cross. So tonight, I, I ask you that if you are here, maybe you're not dealing with this issue, but I think all of us have some type of uh, surrender that we need to do in terms of our belief system. There are things we're holding on to that aren't godly. Attitudes, feelings, judgments, desires, things that are contrary to God's word, be it small, large, indifferent, doesn't matter. We all have an opportunity tonight as we close out to ask God to confront us concerning our belief system. Your behavior, your conduct will always follow what you believe. Always. So that's why we've got to compare it against God's word. So bow your head with me as we pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. It's truth. Thank you, Lord. We agree with your word tonight and what your word says about us. We're vile. We're corrupt. We're sinners apart from your grace and apart from, from your work in us. And so tonight we pray that the work of sanctification will continue, that you will just continue to, to work in our hearts and our, especially in our attitudes, our thoughts, our beliefs, our conduct, our behavior, that Lord, we'll be challenged tonight to compare it against God's word. Any place in us tonight that we are decrepit and that we are uh, defunct in the area of our, our belief of your word and, and accepting of your word, any place we've rationalized sin and say, you know, given ourselves permission to feel a certain way or do a certain thing or act out in a certain way. Father, tonight we confess it as sin. We agree with you. We just pray tonight you would just let the work of grace, the work of the Holy Spirit work in us. There are those tonight that are struggling with sexual orientation on any level. Tonight may the power of God tonight be revealed in their hearts. May you continue to bring them to a place of a realization that the, 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 the deliverance and the truth they need is found in your word. Pray tonight, Lord, that you would go with us throughout the rest of our week as we go into a sin-filled world and, and those that are not um, walking with you, there will be lights shining fervently in a dark world. For How can those uh, that uh, are out there, how can they know unless, uh, Lord, we bring the gospel to them? Don't let our gospel be hid. Don't let us be uh, uh, secret Christians or those that are undercover agents. But, Lord, let us be demonstrative about our faith and our love for you and that God will walk in accordance with your word, and we'll, we'll love others, we'll extend your grace towards them as you have towards us, and for this, we'll be careful to give you praise, honor, and glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Well, bless, uh, I hope you guys have a blessed rest of the week. Um,